0: Having really awesome music to walk up to—it's, it just makes me feel good. It's, it's totally, it's totally unnecessary, but it just makes me feel great. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna, I don't know. I gotta think of like epic songs to walk up to, and that'd be great. Um, What was I gonna say? Oh, uh, when Jamie was talking about the uh, Tuesday night Bible study, I forgot to mention that this Tuesday night you really should show up because it is Cookies and Milk Night. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, bring some cookies to share. We'll have some milk on hand, maybe a little coffee if you'd rather have coffee. Uh, but yeah, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be fun. So we'll, we'll share some cookies. That'll be great. There's also in, a, in like next month, I think is like pumpkin and pecan pie night. I know. Yeah. You guys, there are great reasons to study the word of God. There really are. <laughs> So, that's great. All right, we're going to dive in here uh, and continue our Good, Bad, and the Ugly series where we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And the reason we're calling it the Good, Bad, and the Ugly is because this church ha- has a lot of stuff going on in it, and, and, and we're just getting started um, but there, Paul's got a lot of stuff to say to this church because they're kind of jacked up and there's some good things. There's some good encouraging words he wants to share and tell them to continue in the way that they're going, that sort of thing. There's some just bad stuff going on. And then there's some downright ugly stuff happening in this church. So we're going to pick it all apart. And, and, uh, this is one of the church of Corinth that you kind of threw out this poor, this poor church, this poor church. I mean, you don't want to be an object lesson of the Apostle Paul's for all eternity, uh, but they are, you know, this this they will forever be known as the Church of What Not to Do, and and so we're going to take a look at uh, chapter three. Matt preached last week, did a fantastic job. Really appreciated him filling in and and uh, uh, hit uh, chapter two with us and good solid sermon. Go on the podcast and listen to that. Uh, but just to kind of quickly review what's been going on in these chapters that we're we're starting off with is. Paul is addressing this church, and, and there's a lot of division going on, a lot of disunity. And it's very important to him that he addresses this and says, you know, as, a, as the church of Jesus Christ, you need to be marked by one of the qualities you need to be marked by is unity. And so, you know, be a church that's united, that's agreeable, you know, that, that's focused on the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing, right? And so he's doing that. And, and part of the division that was happening was this uh, city of Corinth, was in, it was in Greece, and, um, and one of the things that they loved was, you know, just kind of the Greek philosophers and, and being able to say, well, I follow his philosophy and I follow his philosophy and that sort of thing. And this, this had kind of, since that was kind of part of their culture as a city anyway, it had kind of crept its way into the church to where some of the people in the church were saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of a Paul person. Like, I really like the way he thinks about life and, and the gospel. And then there was another preacher that would come around sometimes, a good guy, but a fantastic preacher. And his name was Apollos. And some people would say, no, 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 no. I, it's not it's not about Paul, it's about Apollos. Like, I really love pa- Apollos. He's the one, and uh, we should get behind his philosophy, his way of thinking. Because they were just, that, again, that was just kind of the, the city they lived in, the, the culture that they were in. They gravitated towards guru- gurus, right? They wanted They wanted somebody that they could kind of hang their hat on and go, yeah, this is my guy and I'm kind of his disciple and that sort of thing. And so there was just all these and, and so and that's fine in and of itself, but when it's when it's, it's causing you to start to kind of dis- discriminate against people within your own church where you're like uh all you idiot Paul people, uh you know, that sort of thing. And and uh, and then, you know, the Paul people are, you know, since they follow Paul, they're saying saying even uglier stuff probably, and and so but anyway, it's just this this nastiness that's happening and the divisions taking place, and and so just unnecessarily so. So Paul addresses this church and he's like, you guys got to stop this. This is insane. And and he even calls it out and he's like, you know, uh, what you think is wisdom is actually foolishness, and and the stuff that God has set up as you know as uh, wisdom to you guys' as foolishness, and you need to realign your thinking to focus on what God has established as true wisdom and uh, quit playing sides. And he's like, you guys are just being carnal. I want you to be spiritual people, but instead you're just kind of earthly, sinful, carnal people, and I, you need to change your thinking. And so that's where we pick up the teaching today in chapter three. So let's just dive right in because it's really good. Now, well, actually, I'm not going to dive right in. I want to talk a little bit about Oh, oh, I, yeah, especially don't want to dive in because I forgot a really something important, and it kind of goes with what I'm say, talking about today, too. Uh, today, or not today, but this week is uh, Living Hope Sweet 16. We're 16 years old this week. Awesome, right? Yeah, it's great. Fantastic. 16 years old. We're like, we're like an entitled teenager now, and, and so it's <laughs> just fantastic. I love it, uh, and so and some of you have been here for the whole 16 years, and, and that's amazing, and some of you are, are brand new, and some of you, for, like me, fall somewhere in between, uh, but it 's been an amazing journey so far. It really has i mean to you know this this church started sixteen years ago in a living room here in town and uh, and now you know there 's been different iterations of of what we 've looked like over the years and different locations and things like that and now we 're you know, now we're this. You know, we're a couple services strong every Sunday, and lots of great discipleship ha- happening, and lots of great community outreach happening, and just lives being changed, and and uh, a facility that's sort of like our own, and you know, everything is just great, right? And so, um, it's just, it's 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 awesome. So, by the way, that's why there's cupcakes over there. So, grab a handful of cupcakes on your way out. That's your that's your birthday gift uh, from us, and um, and and so I'm. I'm a little hurt that you guys didn't get us anything. So, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Your presence are our presence. See what I did there? <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> cue the music again. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so, so you know, it's it's a, it's a really interesting thing. You guys have heard me say before, I'm kind of a big church nerd. I love thinking about just church and what makes a healthy church, and reading lots of books and experts and things like that, and going and finding other pastors who are further down the road than we are and kind of picking their brains and what worked and what didn't work, and all that. And so, and there's a lot of different philosophies about how church should look and what it should, you know, how to even plan a church. And so, I mean, it, just as there are so many different types of personalities in the kingdom of God, there are also so many different churches with different personalities in the kingdom of God. And so, you have you know more contemporary churches, and you have more traditional churches, and you have uh, um, you know kind of modern music type churches, and then you have uh, very um, kind of high church type type situations, and then you just you know on and on and on. There are different styles of worship. You know, there's churches that do all they do is like um, like island music, like Hawaiian type stuff, and and uh, and I don't know. Like tiny bubbles worship. I don't know what they do, but anyway, so they they do that kind of stuff. And then there's, and then there's churches like um, there's a whole movement in the Southwest now of a lot of uh, cowboy churches that are being started up. It's really kind of a cool thing for out there. And uh, but they yeah they just they these cowboy preachers and they gather all these cowboys and their families around and they they you know preach and sing a little country music and and they um, you know eat eat a meal and then they all rope cattle, which is whatever. If that's, if that's your personality, and that, that's, that's great. You know, it takes all types. And so there are, you know, there's a, there's a million different ways you could possibly do church. And there's probably a million different ways that we haven't even thought of yet that that will be exciting that when, you know, we kind of move further down in church history and see what comes next. Right. But when it comes to this idea of what's really the best way to start a church and how, what things should you be focused on, should you be focused on your community, should you just be focused on worship, should you just be focused on you know, any other number of things, the debate never ends. And so this is kind of where we meet Paul this morning in this story, where he takes some time to talk about what a good, healthy church looks like. And so let's dive into chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And he says this. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And the, and the word he's u- actually using there is kind of carnal. In other words, you're driven by your sinful natures. Your, your, your thinking and your decision-making is, is just prideful and, and sinful and things like that. And He's like, I wish you were more spiritual. So I could, I, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh, and while, there's, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? Are you not thinking carnally, in other words, and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He's like, I, just, I wish you guys could kind of, like God has called us to something higher. And you're still kind of wallowing down in the depths of your sinful thinking. And when you're focusing on these guys, these people to follow, and he's like, there's so much more spiritual food here, and you're just totally ignoring it. And I wish I could, I wish I could give you the meat of the gospel, the meat of the word. Instead, I'm, I'm still nursing you like babies on this stuff because you're just not ready for it, okay? So he goes on in chapter 5. Oh, by the way, as we go through this, uh, I'm not normally a guy who preaches a lot of Greek, you know, and shows off Greek or anything like that. But, but occasionally, if, it, if it's really pertinent, I'll do that. And today it's pertinent a few times. So we're going to learn some Greek today. You're going to impress your friends at parties. It's going to be great. All right. So here we go. Uh, verse five says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, Paul often uses in his writings, this word servants and what we translate into English as servants. And uh, most of the time he's saying something like, I'm a servant of God. And, And the Greek word that he uses is the Greek word doulos. Everybody say doulos doulos is the, is, is the word for slave. And Paul, is, when he says, I'm a servant of God, most often he's saying, I am a slave of God. My life is not my own. It belongs to another. My destiny is not my own. Somebody else is calling the shots. I am God's slave. I go where he tells me to go. I do what he tells me to do. My life is not my own. right? He's, he's a doulos. He's a slave of God. All right. This particular verse where he says, uh, what is Paulus? What is Paul? We're servants through whom you believed. Uh, he doesn't use the word doulos. The, the word that we translate in the service here is the word uh, diakonoi. Everybody say diakonoi. diakonoi. All right. All right. A little, little timid, but it's all right. Diakonoi. So this is the word where we get our churchy word deacon from. And the word literally means somebody who serves tables. In other words, like a waiter, right? That's what this word literally means. And Paul is saying, who is, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He said, all we are, are waiters of God. Now, now the, the reason this is significant is that what the point he's trying to make, he's like, you guys got all this great gospel, this great gift from God. You know, you've got the salvation and the, the blessing of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life. And we shared this freely with you. And, and that was all good. He said, but you know, me and Apollos, we're just, we're just waiters. We're just serving tables here. Like when you have the best meal of your life, like the greatest thing you've ever tasted in your life is served to you, whether it's at a house or a restaurant. Like you don't give credit to the waiter. You want to know who the chef is. Like who prepared this? Who cooked this? I got to know because that is absolutely amazing. He's like, you guys are missing the point. You're putting all your focus on me, or you're putting all your focus on Apollos, or all your focus on Peter. And you're missing the point that there's a master chef behind all this. We just took it from him and gave it to you. We're nothing in this equation. And yet you're you're, you're focusing on the absolute wrong thing. And then he keeps on that analogy. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So when he says we're, we're he's talking about him and Apollos and Peter. It's like when he says we're, we're God's fellow workers. He's not saying like there's Paul and Peter and Apollos and God, and we're on the same plane like partners there's a possessive nature to what he's saying. He's saying, me and Apollos are fellow workers, and we are owned by God. We are God's, he owns us, and we're fellow workers. That's what he's saying, right? And then he says, so we're doing all this work, and then you guys, the church, you guys are God's field. You guys are God's building. You're what we're working on. And then he carries that building analogy further. Verse 10. Verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there for just a second. So there's this phrase here that we translate in in this particular version of the Bible, it translates into skilled master builder. And the Greek phrase, here you go, you ready, is sophos architecton. Everybody say sophos architecton. You guys are awesome. You're going to impress so many friends. It's going to be great. So sophos architecton, so there's a word you automatically probably recognize there. What is it? architect. architecton is the Greek word where we get our word architect from. So when he says I'm a master builder, he's not necessarily saying I'm the one swinging the hammer. He's saying I'm the one that came up with the design of this building and, 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 and kind of had the forethought to plan it and plan it properly. And he uses the word sophos, again here translated skilled, Um, But this word sophos, this Greek word sophos, has come up multiple times so far in the previous two chapters. Every time it talked about foolishness and wisdom. That word for wisdom or that word for wise is sophos. And for some reason, the translators decided to use skilled. I really think they should have stuck with wise because I think he intentionally uses that word to tie into what he's talking about before. And I think what he's saying is he's like, he's like, I built you this church. I started this church, planned it from the ground up and, 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 and worked on this church. as a a wise architect. I had wisdom in what I was doing. I wasn't just, you know, shooting from the hip here. I I had experience. I knew what it needed, and I planned it that way. And I laid the now now it might come across as a little cocky for Paul to refer to himself as the wise architect of this church. But look what he says next, because he doesn't just say, I'm the wise architect. He says, you know, my role was laying the foundation and you know what foundation I laid? Jesus Christ. He's like, I knew as the the wise architect, the one who planted this church, the one who knew kind of how to get things started and get it started in a really great way, if it wasn't built on Jesus, this thing was going to go south. It's critical that when we build church, when we make church happen, that it has to have a foundation of Jesus Christ. If you choose for your, your, your foundation anything else, methods, looking at another church and trying to copy them, you know, whatever else, things will go bad eventually. If it's not truly centered, built totally on from the ground up, Jesus Christ, then things are going to go bad. He goes on and he says this, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. Now, he carries on that analogy of Jesus being the foundation of the church. He said, now, everybody that comes along after that foundation is laid and continues to build on that church... They choose what materials they're going to build it with, and it, you know maybe they're they're using. He starts off with three things. He says gold and silver and precious you know precious stones. But the idea here is that these are these are things that will be able to take the fire. They come out of the fire still pretty good, still pretty pure, you know that sort of thing, and and, and it's all good. But then he he goes. He said, "Well, maybe they're using wood, straw. What does he say? Grass. I lost my place. Wood, hay, straw. Right." So these are literally the things fire is made of, <laughs> right? He's like, hey, or you could just use this stuff, which that's exactly how you start a fire, right? And so he, he, he's like, it's your choice what, how you build on this foundation and what materials are you used. And then he ha- says this thing, you'll eventually go through the fire and the wisdom of what you used to build with will be tested and will be shown. And the stuff that was good, the, the wise building that you've done will last. And the stuff that wasn't, it'll eventually get burned up. Now, there's another little translation issue that happens here where he says, um, for the day will disclose it. And in the ESV and a lot of other versions too, they take that word day and they put a capital D on it. The day is going to disclose it. And there's all this talk of fire and stuff like that. And so, so um, by the way, there's no capital letters in, in the Greek text. It's all lowercase. You know? So that was just kind of something that they added because they thought it was heading towards a certain thing and they were trying to translate it that way. So when you see the capital D day there, what do you tend to think of he's, maybe he's talking about? Judgment day, right? Yeah, yeah, especially, especially talking about fire and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I actually think that's a mistake. I think, I think what he's actually saying is um, just like anything in life, any church, any, anybody's life, whatever happens, you're eventually gonna go through the fire. You're eventually gonna, what you have built, what the life you've led, eventually it's gonna go through a test. And When that day comes and that test takes place, takes place, you are going to either come out of it because you laid a wise foundation of Jesus Christ and you'll come out of it strong, or your foolish building with hay and straw and everything else will show and it's all going to be burned up and you're going to suffer for it. I think he's just kind of making this general statement of testing will happen and the kind of work you did will be shown. And Because he goes on in verse 14 and he says this, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives... <coughs> he'll, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only us through fire. So let me break this down. First of all, that phrase there that we translate, he will suffer loss. Now, this is a difficult one. It's a Greek word, uh, zemiothesitai. Everybody say zemiothesitai. That's some advanced Greek right there. And so what that, what that word means, it's, we, we, we've translated there, he will suffer loss, what it specifically means like when you have broken a law or, or violated a principle and you are fined for it. So you were caught speeding and here's your ticket, here's your Uh have a great day, right? That's, that, that's, that, that's what's going on there. That's the principle. And so his whole idea is this, if you have built wisely in the church that you're working in and working on, if you built wisely, You'll be rewarded for it. Things will go good, and it'll pass through the fire and pass through the test, and everything will be great. If you haven't though, and you've built foolishly, if you focused on the wrong things, if you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you focused on flash and everything else, and you know uh, whatever the popular thing to do is, or you know whatever, if that if you focused on the wrong things, then you're going to pay a price for that. You're not going to make it through the fire so great. But he but he he also kind of puts on this little tagline there at the end. He's like, he's not I'm not trying to threaten your salvation. You know, I'm, it, it, you'll make it through, but you'll go through the fire, and you'll have, you'll have learned your lessons, and know what is best from that point on. Hopefully, now here's the thing about church life: it's so easy for us to get focused on the wrong things, especially in this country. I don't know what you know. I, I, all I have is this for reference, so I don't know what it's like in other countries. But in this country, it's really tempting for us to kind of look at other successful models of church and go, "Oh man, that! Look at all that!" great stuff they're doing. We need to do some of that. And what happens is we tend, when we look at, you know, a big thriving church and and try to duplicate what they're doing, inevitably we end up focusing on the wrong things. We focus on what we see, the cosmetic things that are going on in that church, and we lose sight of the fact that they've probably laid a really great foundation of Jesus that allowed them to build beautiful things on top of that. And so I had a a preaching professor in college who would say, you know, when you preach, he said, just be yourself, be who God created you to be. Preach, you know, preach God through your own personality. He said, don't try to copy anybody else. He said, because inevitably, if you look to another hero preacher of yours and you try to copy their methods and their style, he said, you will end up copying what is most distracting about them, because those are the things that stand out. And so it's kind of the same, same thing. If we end up trying to copy other people too much, we end up shifting our focus from Christ to all these cosmetic things that aren't the real deal. So you know, backtrack 25 years ago, uh, people were getting away from hymn books and they were projecting things up on a big screen in the church. And so churches were starting to get these projectors and it kind of started in bigger churches. And a bunch of smaller churches were like, ah, oh, if we would just get a projector, then, you know, we would blow up the whole town and it would just be wonderful. And so everybody's getting projectors. So now every church has projectors and still the same crap, right? It's still the same thing. We're still dealing with the same stuff, but we all got projectors. Praise Jesus. Right? And so there's more to gospeling a community than buying a projector. You know, it, it, that whole philosophy of, you know, the uh, Field of Dreams philosophy, if you build it, they will come. That's great in the movies. It doesn't really work in church. If you build it, they will come, and they'll probably bring all their garbage with them, and you've got to sort all that stuff out, but you've built, a thing, you've built something. But was it built on any kind of foundation? Was it built on Jesus, or were you just hoping once we get a building then we will have arrived. And in the meantime, you're just as dysfunctional as ever. It's really important that when we build, that we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's critical. It's critical. Now he goes on and he says this. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And here's the punchline. And you are that temple. This is great, because what he says is that through you know before you know back in the day before Jesus, there was a temple in Jerusalem that everybody would come to to worship and sacrifice and that sort of thing, and that place was considered holy ground. I mean it was it was talked about. It was beautiful. It was talked about the worldwide, but it was holy ground to the Jewish people, not because that's where they went to worship. It's because they believed that they went there to worship because that's where God lived. That's where he dwelled. That's where his spirit dwelled. The temple was this thin place where heaven and earth would meet. And, and God's spirit literally dwelled in that place, in that building. It was holy ground. And he says, but then Jesus came. And what Jesus did was this beautiful thing where he, he refocused this religious idea of, of we're going to focus all of our worship and attention on the temple. And then we're going to refocus that onto Jesus. And so then when he sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then we are taught that now God still dwells in a temple, but guess what? We're that temple. Now, the punchline there is that means we, we are holy ground. We are holy. Who here walked in the room this morning feeling holy? Anybody? No, none of you did. You're living hopers. You don't feel holy, right? You feel like you're just crawling through life, right? That's what we do. But here's the thing. I think we need to, might need to shift our thinking around that a little bit because, because God says, no, 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 no. Like I could have picked any building, any mountain, any, anything to dwell. And I picked you. You are my holy temple now. You may not feel holy. And, and we do things like, you know, we'll pray about, you know, we just want to pray that God's presence would fill this place. And here's the deal. If you showed up, God's presence is here. Because you're God's temple, you're where He lives. And when a bunch of us get together, even more presence, right? That's great. We are holy people. Like, I don't, that's hard for me to really. I I gotta work on that in my head because I don't I don't often think of my I think of God as holy, and I'm just trying to play catch up, right? But God says, no, no, no. You're holy, not because of what you've done, because that's what we tend to think. Like for me to be holy, that means I've got to be perfect. No, no, you're, you're not holy because of what you've done. You're holy because of who lives inside of you. You're holy because of who lives inside of you. You are God's holy temple. So as we build this church with a foundation of Jesus Christ, full of people who are God's holy temple, that, you know. when we begin to think about each other, think about yourself and think about each other as holy, that should mess with your mind a little bit to the fact that it should change the way you treat each other, right? Like, it should say, like before you get an attitude about somebody that's one of your brothers or sisters in the faith, you just, just remember before you, you know, bite off a little and, and uh, let them have it that you know, that's pretty presumptuous to um, think you can just chew out the temple of God there in front of you. Well, there's something holy about us and we should treat each other that way. It doesn't mean we presume holiness, like, look how holy I am. The temple has arrived, (laughs) (laughs) right? No, it's not that. It's just, it's just, we recognize there's something, you know, we're, this is not any normal day. This is not a small, like some of you guys are looking at me like I'm reading the weather to you right now. And I just told you that God lives in you and that makes you holy. That's a big thing. That's a big deal. Don't, don't, don't miss that. So he goes on verse 18. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, it's written, uh, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So then he finishes with this. This is great. Don't miss this. Says, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which was the Aramaic name for Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Love that. Because this is what he's saying. He's like, you guys are fighting over who you're going to follow. He's like, quit boasting in people. You're, you're worshiping the waiter. There's a master chef around. Go find him. Go find him. And he's like, he's like, but here's, here's, the, here's the, the truth of the matter. It's like while you're fighting over Peter and Paul and Apollos and who's better than whatever, you know, he's like, every one of them were given to you, they're yours. They're all those wise teachers. They're all there for your benefit. They're all there to build you up and to make the church stronger. Don't just pick one, embrace them all because they're all yours and you're Jesus's and Jesus is God's so let's shift our focus to where it needs to be. Let's shift our focus to God. Don't, don't get caught up in the waiters. Go look for the master chef. That'd be a great name for a show. Master chef. Anyway, so my, 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 big, my one big point is just this. It's simple. And this is what I want you to remember, is that any church not built on Jesus will fall. It's just a matter of time. You build a church and it's not centered on Jesus Christ. It doesn't have Jesus as its foundation. It's just a matter of time. It's going to fall. Churches are started for a whole lot of different reasons, right? Sometimes churches are started because God impressed on a person or a group of people that there needs to be a a new movement of the gospel in a particular area that needs that or, or, you know, whatever. And so, so they do that following the direction of God, and it's a really beautiful thing. Sometimes churches are started because, Like, well, where I'm from in the Bible belt, um, like denominate, there's lots of denominations and they don't really talk a lot to each other. And, uh, And so instead of looking at a city and going, do we need a church there? They tend to look at a city and go, is there a Baptist church there? No. And, but okay, so there's 400 churches in this town and there's about 402 people. So yeah, we need a Baptist church there right and so they do so they do that it's just like trying to spread their flavor of church wherever they go whether it's needed or not some churches are started because a group of people inside one church get kind of ticked off and upset and hurt feelings or prideful or whatever the case may be and they're like we're out of here. We're starting our own church. And so they started, they they kind of split from a church and start their own church within the same community. And those churches are always called things like unity and harmony and a new hope and, you know, things like that. And, and uh, just ridiculous, like they know anything about unity or harmony, right? So you can, you can, what, you can start your church for a whole lot of different reasons. But if it's not a foundation of Jesus Christ, it's just a ticking clock before the thing falls apart. It's just a ticking clock. It will fall. Let me make that a little bit more personal. If your life does not have a foundation of Jesus Christ, it's not going to make it through the fire either. It's not going to make it through when the tests come, because here's what we all know. You know, the test will come. Hard times, difficult situations, things that try your endurance and try your faithfulness, those things will happen to you in your life. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. And how you've built up your life and the foundation you've laid for your life really, really matters. When your family goes through the fire, if it was built on a foundation of Jesus Christ, it's probably going to come through that fire just fine maybe a little burnt, maybe a little singed, maybe a little scarred in places, but alive and well on the other side. If you built it, your family, if you built your career, if you built your whatever else on anything other than Jesus, I don't know, those different ideas and different philosophies might take you a little ways, but eventually that stuff will crumble. It's not going to be there the way you thought it was going to be there for you. Lots of people built their whole lives on the stock market and have nothing to show for it now. Lots of people, people have built their whole lives on worshiping family. And they go through a fire and there's not a whole lot to show for it now. But I'm telling you when, you, when you can gather your whole family to the best of your ability and build that foundation on Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can go through that will be too tough. Now, I'm not saying it's going mean, to be easy. You'll go, through, you'll go through just as much difficult stuff as somebody who doesn't love Jesus. That's just life. That's the way life works. The rain pours on the good and the bad. The sun shines on, on the evil and the righteous. That's one of the things that's really amazing about God is that he blesses us all. He doesn't just bless those who follow him. He, just, he pours out blessings on everybody. But when those tough times come, if your foundation is Jesus Christ, yeah, you'll you'll get a little singed and you'll get a little burned and maybe a little scarred in the process but you'll come out the other side and you'll be stronger for it it's beautiful it's about building a life like i'm ultimate when it comes to this church my goal is not to build a church that lasts as long as i last as your pastor like i'm working on the 100 year church here that's what we're working on we want to build a church that's a blessing to our grandkids and our great grandkids I want generations behind us to, as a scripture says, "Rise up and call us blessed," because of we had a vision not just for ourselves but for them too, that the gospel would carry on beyond us, that it would go through some fires and come out on the other side stronger than ever. what if what if the next pastor of this church, the next missionary this church sends, the the, the third pastor down the line from where we are right now? is your grandson, is your granddaughter, is your... Wouldn't that be amazing to think the work we're doing right now has implications into your own family down the road? That, that, I love thinking about that. I love it. And if we build a church based on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then I think we'll get to see that. We're already seeing it now. We're a church that's currently sending out missionaries all over the world. Do you know how special that is? You know how special... I'm, I'm, I got to stop. I'm gonna cry. You know how special it is that we, as a church, are not just inward focused, but that we're raising up a generation of youth that are like, I got to go and tell Jesus all over this planet, and they're doing it. That's amazing. It's worth eating a cupcake today for. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. So that's what we want to do. Amen? Let's build our church. Let's build our lives, our families, our careers, our even our finances, everything about us. Let's build it all on the foundation of Jesus. And as we build upon it and we build upon it, and we add gold and we add silver and we add precious things and we, you know, swat out of the way the the hay and the straw and the everything else that might, you know, we, we recognize when we've made a misstep and we undo that and make it better. It's all part of the journey, but let's make sure it's all focused and centered on Jesus Christ. I think if we do that, I think we're just beginning to see what God can do through Living Hope Church. Just beginning. And I think it's going to be amazing. Amazing. So let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you for your servant, Paul, who uh, passed these words to us. And the wisdom that you gave to him and the way that you spoke through him to influence the church for centuries upon centuries. Um, God, we recognize that we are foolish at times, that we are prone to wander away from you and from focusing on you and and on your son, Jesus. And we put our focus on the wrong things at times. We are easily distracted by uh, lights and Um, shiny things. Um, Help us to minister in this context, in this community that you've placed us in, in a way that that is authentic, that is really and truly focused on you. That anything cosmetic we do to our church is done completely for your glory, not for the sake of cool, not for the sake of trying to keep up but because we feel like that's where you've led us, because there's a purpose behind it that's bigger than just us. God, we don't want a cosmetic faith. We want a a faith that goes deep into who we are. And we ask you that your Holy Spirit would just continue to penetrate our hearts and reshape us and remake us into the people that you've called us to be. We thank you so much for... The blessing that Living Hope Church is in our lives and, and uh, how our families are blessed and how our lives have been blessed and how we've been able to bring them and friends and all kinds of other people uh, here and uh, see their lives change through it as well. We thank you so much that we are getting to see the fruit of our labor in really beautiful ways that are the reach that you are giving our church reaches beyond Dixon to other communities in this area, to planting churches across this nation, to spreading your word all over this planet. We Thank you that we get to live in the days where we get to see that. Thank you so much. God, I just pray that um, the next decades would be full of um, just generations of people who love you and follow you even to the ends of the earth and that you would increase our influence and that we would really truly be able to partner with you in remaking this world to look like your kingdom. You're good and we love you. You're worthy of all of our praise. Forgive us when we take our eyes off of you and lift up others higher than you. So we're going to pray all this in your beautiful son's name, in Jesus' name. We'll give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Here's the deal. Today's worthy of a cheat day. Go grab a handful of cupcakes on the way out the door. In fact, just shove them all in your mouth at the same time because God is that good. Amen. All right. Everybody have a great day. Take care.